This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalife. I'm here with my good friend, Casanova Brooks. Man, I, I love your name, by the way. I, I didn't point this out before we started the recording, but, but uh, when, when we were introduced to each other, I'm like, Casanova, man, that's, that's, that's a killer name. You don't even need a nickname at that point. Uh, I love Casanova's story, and, and you'll see why in a second. But you know, from going to, to battling cancer, cancer at a young age when he was a teenager, losing his job, his home, a ton of challenges along the way, to now building a seven-figure real estate business. You know, he's an impact keynote speaker and really just wants to del- deliver value. And I think that's something we can all resonate with. He's actually from the south uh, side of Chicago, so we have that piece going for us. And, and just overall, a, a great guy from what I can get so far being introduced to him. So thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, this should be a very fun episode. So, so tell me about kind of early days. You know, I think your story obviously touches on on more of the challenges early on in life, right? I think you were raised by a single mom. I heard you say that on stage once, and that that's not easy for anyone, right? And, and then you had to deal with cancer. So, kind of walk us through how all this unfolded when you were a teenager. Yeah, so I would say for me, growing up. I am originally from South Side of Chicago. Uh, so for me, I always grew up by, really I was raised by women. So I was raised by strong women, that being my mom, my grandma, and then I got a cousin who's my first cousin, we're nine months apart. But I was raised by strong women. Um, I always tell people, because when they hear my story, they see a lot of adversity and you know uh, going through, fighting over a lot of obstacles. But I was never deprived of love and support. That was the one thing that my mom and grandma always tried to give me. My mom would always use the analysis that she was robbing Peter to pay Paul because she was working all the time. And so that was great. Well, for me being a young boy, I would classify myself as always being a big dreamer, right? Even though I had lack of resources, I seen people on TV and and when I would always read, like at a young age, I was reading the Forbes list of like the wealthiest people. And I don't know why, because my dad was never in my life. I had no brothers or sisters uh, outside of my first cousin. So for me, the only way that I got my inspiration or like the really the the uh, what's the word that I'm looking for, the dreams that I did was by exposed exposure to it in the online world or in this case because it was 20 years ago in the tv world so to give you an example of that me growing up my favorite show always was vh1's the fabulous life of have you ever heard of that show I've heard of it for sure. Yeah, so it's sure. like basically VH1's version of MTV Cribs. Yeah. So they yeah. would show guys like Richard Branson and show him with the Virgin Island and and all this. And I was like, like I want like, me some of that. I want right. me some. <laughs> and I'm just like a young kid at this time, so that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, man, I can't wait till I get me a yacht. So I'm really just dreaming, but I didn't know of any road map. I didn't have a blueprint, and nobody around me, no one in my family ever owned house, car, business, or anything. So for me, it was very foreign, but it it gave me that like getaway, if that makes sense, right? It gave me that something to just always aspire for. And so um, that was kind of what it always was for me as a young child. I did, I would classify myself before the word even became popular as a, a, a young entrepreneur. Now, not in the sense of just being cool, but because my parents never had a lot to give to me rather on the resources side, um, they were just kind of always trying to make sure that I had food, clothes, and shelter. So for me to try to make my own money so I could buy the little things that I wanted to. Here's like one of my first jobs that I ever remember doing. I would go to the gas station in Chicago and you would basically, this was before everybody was just using debit cards and credit cards right at the pump. You would go in, you would prepay for your gas, whatever you're going to get and you'd come back out and I'd be standing there and I would just ask and I would say, hey, mister, do you mind if I pump your gas? And then you're either going to say yes or no. If you said yes, I would pump it just in hopes that you would give me some type of a tip just like kind of serving tables. And then so, you know, people started to tip and, you know, a dollar here and and things like that. And before I knew it, over the course of like weeks, I would have like hundreds of dollars, right? And being so young. Now, of course, I wasn't really using this to go buy any houses or anything like that, but I saved it up. And that was kind of my first way that I really started to see the power of me just hustling myself. And I was able to buy some like Nike shoes and things like that. Now, I never turned anything negative, but in my mind, it just showed 
me that like, listen, I don't have to rely on somebody else to give me whatever it is that I want. I can find creative ways that are legal, you know, to try to go out there and do it myself. So that was where it was for me as a young kid. And I just kept like, you know, propelling that into something else. And then my my parents made the decision when I was um, what, like 12 years old to move me to Sioux City, Iowa, because there was more opportunity there for me, because the neighborhood that I grew up in, it was just the typical neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, drugs, gangs, violence. So I was fortunate enough that my mom had relationships with a lot of the gangbangers there that she would at least be like, listen, I don't care what you guys are doing, but just try to keep Cass away from this if you would. And so they were all cool enough and they're like, yeah, you know what? So I remember there's multiple times where people would be like, hey, Cass, you got to get up off of this corner. You know, we don't know what's about to happen, but we see people who are not from this neighborhood. So get up out of here. And so those are very, very fortunate times for me because nothing ever happened where I wasn't an innocent bystander and something that could have been very tragic. So my grandma made that decision. She was going to move me to Sioux City, Iowa. Um, My mom didn't really have a choice because I was her only child. And my grandma said, this is what we're doing. And so we moved there, uh, finished off middle school, then got into high school. My sophomore year, uh, I, I was already building relationships, pretty popular as a kid. I just, I just love people. Right. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't a real troublemaker. I mean, I talked a lot as you can tell, um, but I wasn't a real troublemaker or anything like that. Well, um, fin- finishing up football season, I decided I didn't want to play anymore. So I left about a month early in the football season. Now going into basketball season, and I find myself walking through uh, the hallways during school and and I'm just having a tough time breathing. And so I remember telling my buddies, I'm like, yo, I can't really breathe. And they're like, ah, oh, it's probably because you left football early. So you're not conditioned and we're running, you know, a lot for basketball. I'm like, oh, you're probably right. But then I would go home and I would start taking these naps like right after school. And my mom seen that that was uncharacteristic of me. So she's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, I just, I don't know. I'm really tired. I can't. And she's like, okay, well, if it keeps persisting, you know, we're going to go to the emergency room. And so for me, the reason why that was big and why she looked at that is because I was never, ever sick as a child. Uh, Chicken pox, measles, flu, coronavirus. I never had any of those things. So I was I was pretty good. And then so it was just, like I said, uncharacteristic. And so we went there a couple of days later because these things didn't stop. And and uh, I remember the doctor saying, hey, you know what, since it's with his chest and breathing, we're going to keep him overnight. Um, so for me, again, uh, ignorance is bliss. So I'm thinking, hey, I, I never had to stay in the hospital. So here's what I'm going to be getting. I'm going to be getting ice cream and sponge baths from nurses. <laughs> it's going to be great. Lollipops. It's going to be a right. good time. Video games. Well, then they came back in at around 1 a.m. in the morning and they said, hey, you know what? We got public transportation. We're going to ship you all to the University of Iowa, which was on the other side of the state. And my mom's like, wait, what do you what do you, what does that mean? Like, why? And they're like, well, we think it might be a little bit more serious. And my mom's like, well, tell me, like, what does that mean? And they're like, well, we think he might have cancer. And it's like, whoa. And I just remember my grandma having this huge outburst. And they were like, well, we don't know the full details on it. That's why we're going to you know, send you. So a couple hours later, they wound up sending us to the University of Iowa. And that's where it comes out that my doctors had said uh, that I had stage four lymphoma cancer. I was two weeks away from death. If I would have just waited two more weeks, it was all throughout my body. And so obviously that was the major turn in my life where I had to you know, go through two years of chemotherapy, dies, everything else. And, and I had to kind of figure out how I was going to be a champion through, you know, a tough time in my mom, my grandma, and of course, my own life. So that was kind of the backstory for me um, going up until that point. And then a lot of people, you know, ask about my my latest storm, which was five years ago. Um, and I would even argue to say my most challenging one, whereas I would just move to a brand new city, which is now where I am, Omaha, Nebraska. And I had my wife and I had my son who at the time was three. Well, my grandma calls me up and my mom and said, hey, you know, there's nothing left in two city. They want to move down to Omaha to be closer to us. And I say, OK, cool. So within a couple of weeks, my mom and grandma, uh, we moved them down here to be closer to us. And within Within 24 hours, my mom winds up going to the hospital in Omaha, and uh, within a week's time, I lose my mom at that very hospital. As a result of that, just that, uh, yeah, and very, very close with my mom. Like I said, only child, so I was always close. And and so even even more, like at this time in my life, we're trans. I'm transitioning from inside sales with this job that I had to outside sales because I just got my real estate license about four months ago, even though I wasn't practicing. But this was the way that I was gonna, you know, be able to build my real estate career so I could get out of corporate all day long. And uh, 
so as a result of that, I lose because I lost my mom and they wanted to ship me back across the country to do this training. And when my manager comes back and she says, hey, you know, everything's been taken care of as far as the funeral and everything. We need you to go back. And I say, with all due respect, I can't because my grandma still needs me here. You know, she's 73 years old. Not only did she just lose her only daughter, she lived with my mom for 40 of my mom's 50 years. So it was like she lost her only companion, right? And so I was like, I, I, I got to be able to protect my grandma here. And I got my wife and son, and she's like, I get it, but there's nothing we can do. You know, you don't even have a territory here. Like we got to, you know, I either got to let you go or you got to go out and finish this training. And I say, hey, you know what? I'm about to close on this house in about three weeks. So if you would just let me close on this house, I'll be out of your hair, you know, and I, you can just let me go. And she's like, okay. So she did me a really solid favor by letting me stay on the payroll for like three weeks, even though I had no territory or nothing. So I'm always going to be grateful to her for that. And um, as a result, though, what wound up happening to shorten up this story is two days before we were supposed to close on the home, um, the student loans came up. Underwriters wanted more information on my student loans that were in deferment from the University of Iowa, and uh, they wound up finding out that I no longer had that job because my closing date got pushed from the Friday to that next Monday. Well, my last day at that outside sales job was that Friday. So on Monday, when they go to re-verify employment, they say, oh, Casanova no longer works here as of last Friday. And so obviously they didn't give me the loan. So I lost my job, my home and my mom all within a matter of a couple of weeks. And uh, I got no degree. I got no nothing. And like, what am I going to do? I did have a real estate license. And my wife was like, listen, because I was going to go back and get a W-2 job. My wife's like, no, you got this license. You're either going to make something shake or you're always going to be wondering what if. And so I, I jumped all in into real estate. Fast forward within that next nine months, I did 46 deals, $8 million in volume here in uh, Nebraska. I got the rookie of the year, and that's where my career started to really take off for me. Wow, man. Well, there's definitely a lot to unpack there, my man. I, I think one of the things that probably resonates with a lot of people is like you, you've been through so much in, in probably what seems to be a, sh- a short amount of time, but for you, it probably felt endless, right? And And it's like well, one is personal with you, with your health, which is probably the worst because with that, everything kind of stops around you, right? And your whole world becomes you taking care of yourself and getting better. And then it affects, you know, your your parents and your grandma and, and then what happened with your mom. It's, it's quite difficult to, to go through that at a young age. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, how did you keep yourself from maybe not turning to a, an easier, more dangerous path with like massive drugs, alcohol, things that a lot of people could succumb to in, in that kind of situation? Yes, yeah, a great question. I think for me, it was always knowing that I had someone else that was that was holding strong for me. So looking back, when I had the cancer, it was my mom and my grandma. Now, at this time, I didn't really know like how they were paying for these things. Obviously, there was a lot of public assistance and things like that. But I knew that every single day, like they had the fight for me. Right. Mm-hmm. They were taken off of work. They were going to all of these these appointments. So they did everything that they could for me. So I remember distinctly the day that I got done when they cured me like that day. I had my last doctor's appointment in the University of Iowa. And uh, when we were about to leave the hospital, my mom's like, so how are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm good. But I'll tell you what, if this ever comes back, I'm going out comfort care style. Like, I'm never going through this again. Now, of course, me having now, you know, an eight-year-old son and also a two-year-old daughter, if it came back, I'm fighting it all day long. But right. I think that that even now, when when I lost my mom, it was, yeah, it was that what was me for a hot second. But I also knew that I had my grandma still here. I had my wife who was supporting me, not only emotionally, but now financially as well, where I was kind of always the breadwinner. And then I also had my son that was looking to see, okay, well, how are you going to respond to this thing? It looks like there's a lot of turmoil at three years old, four years old. He doesn't know what's going on. But at the same time, he could see my movements. He could see my reactions. He could see my emotions. So I think every day for me, it was just always keeping moving forward, putting one step in front of the other, because the moment that you allow yourself to just sit, you're going to think that woe is me. And so I was always just trying to hunt. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a very interesting way to think about it. And I, I think even like if you listen to a lot of people who talk about this, right? And like just having someone you're accountable to, right? It's, it's almost like, or, or sometimes your why is, is more than yourself, right? It could be right. your parents, your kids, your friends, your loved ones, wh- whoever it is. It kind of gets you that, it gets you that momentum, like get out of bed. It puts in that fire within you. Uh, and I think it's a really good motivator. Um, for you, like I feel like when, when you 
you know, went through the challenges of cancer and stuff. Did you ever have a moment when you were like, shit, man, this is kind of a breaking point, you know, and, and it, there's a lot of ambiguity, right? Because even with this thing, like, yes, you have a solution to it, but it might not work. Like, did you ever have any doubts within that period that you're like, I don't know what to do anymore? And Yeah, the great question. I think I would honestly, looking back on it, obviously, that was many years ago, but looking back on it, I would say no. And it was kind of that thing, again, where it's like ignorance is bliss. Like, I didn't know, like, knowing what you know now about cancer and how many people's lives are lost, at this time, Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to only be 15. So when people ask, like, I've had people ask me now, like, would I go through a Uh, a more natural treatment rather than the chemotherapy and things like that. Well, at that time, you know, being 15, I didn't know what was even available. I didn't know if they were natural. Right. I just don't know. For me, all I knew was just to keep moving forward. I didn't, and I didn't, I wasn't reading books and I wasn't exposed to social media to show, oh, somebody else just died within two months from having the same cancer where then you've got the stress on yourself. You're like, whoa. So no, I would say, to be honest with you, I just, every day I I try to get up and I try to just bring the best that I could to my days. And I didn't worry about all of the extra. Um, That was, that was, uh, that was kind of the big thing for me. And not to make light, light of that, but I, I, I think preferably we, we need more of this today, you know, especially with what's happening now with all this corona stuff going around is I think, you know, the more that the news circulates stuff, the less you know what to believe, number one, but also the more you're probably coming across. And it, 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 it kind of creates this frenzy that you see, right? You see the, the cases that are coming out. People are going crazy buying all kinds of toilet paper and face masks and whatever. And it just like and you have some people who are like, dude, honestly, even with this whole thing. I'm going to persist. Like, what What are you going to do? Like, you're, you're going to stay in a closet with Purell in your hands? Like, right. you know, I, I think you just kind of have to move forward. And sometimes that ignorance actually can probably a very, be a very advantageous thing for you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the stories that always sticks out in my mind is Roger Bannister, the guy who broke the four-minute mile, right? right? And, and they talked about in the beginning, he didn't know that it wasn't possible. Mm. Right. And and whereas if people would have if he would have allowed people to put those fears on him to say, what, you're going to break this for him. Like, no, no one's ever done that. No one's ever like those are the things that now it gets your subconscious mind to working to feeling like, oh, my God, I can't do it because your subconscious mind is only the thoughts. But if you allow your subconscious mind to then take over your conscious mind, which actually like really triggers your movements. Right. Your your conscious mind is is what's going to say, like, OK, I could still do this. But your subconscious mind will be like, oh, my God, like, don't touch that. You might get burned. So you yeah. have to, to really focus on what exactly can help you to take action that day, because if you can suppress that subconscious mind, it, even in the smallest form to allow you to build a small win to get mm. you some momentum going, you're going to be good in the end. It's like riding a bike for a child. Right in the beginning, all they're thinking about is I'm going to fall down again. I already scraped my knee. It's it's hot out here. Like this is fresh. But when you get that conscious mind to go in and you take one pedal and you take one pedal and next thing you know, you just keep going. And now you've looked back and you're halfway down the block and you're like, oh, and now you're no longer thinking about that subconscious mind of what happens if I fall. You're just like, I feel the breeze. So mm. that's what I think you have to do. You have to find ways to just take small actions that can build into bigger momentum for you. It's like a snowball effect. Yeah, man. It's so true. Dude, I had an ultra marathoner on the podcast. His name is Dean Carzanis. And so this guy, crazy. Like, I'd really recommend you look him up. So he, he basically ran 50 marathons across 50 states for 50 days. So wow. he would literally run a 42-kilometer run every single day across 50 states. Uh, and he's done other crazy things. I mean, that was probably like an appetizer for him. And and the way he kind of put it into context was he's like, listen, I'm not thinking about the fact that I'm running 100 miles. You know, he's like, all I'm thinking or, or that I'm running three days straight and I'm not getting enough sleep and I might die or whatever. I'm just thinking one foot in front of the other. That's right. all I'm telling myself. Maintain this pace one step, one step, one step, one step. You know, and I think just telling yourself that every single day, to your point, is so important because if otherwise you, you can go crazy. Right. And Absolutely. especially like I, I love because this ties into what you were you said earlier. You, you know, when you said that you, you, you'd go to Forbes and you would listen to all these interviews, it was it was it's almost like playing a game with your mind. Right. It's it's like you're escaping what that sandbox is from your conscious. Right. And you're saying this like this. This is out there. It's possible for me. Whereas other people might say, dude, how the hell am I ever going to get away from Southside Chicago? Right. No, hell, I don't have a dad. I don't have a, millions in the bank for me from an inheritance perspective. What am I supposed to do? Right. 
Absolutely. And that's something else that I always say to piggyback on that is I always tell people you do not have to love the journey, right? You do not, but you have to be married to the destination. Mm. That's a big deal. And the reason why I say that is because there's going to become so many options. There's a book by Ryan Holiday, which I love, and it's called The Obstacle is the Way. Okay. Right. And and so I would definitely recommend someone who's who's trying to figure out how they could try to have these breakthroughs that they read it. But anyway, and it, it it's built off of a lot of daily stoicism and things like that. But anyway, the point is, when you think about the destination, if you know that no matter what, it has to work or it has to work. Right. Think about this. When you get into your car and you're trying to make it from Chicago to Florida, you can't just get in and be like, oh, take me wherever. They're going to ask you, where do you want to go? Right. So when you go there and you put in Florida, wherever it is, understand that your path may change along the way. You may get ran in the toes. You may get construction. You may get a flat tire. There's so many things that can happen. But if you're committed to getting there, we've seen it in movies and whatever else. It's like become hell or high water. I'm going to make it there. And then it's like, what happened to your car? What happened to your clothes? What happened to it's like, it doesn't matter. I'm here now. Let's get this party started. So that's that's what you have to always think about. Like, what's that destination for me? For some people, it's it's, you know, by being able to buy a home that they can have their family. For some people, it's ten million dollars. For some people, it's a business that can support, you know, one million families. It doesn't matter what it is because the path along the way can change. And you're not always going to love the journey. A lot of the times you won't love the journey because, again, the obstacle is the way. So those are just kind of my things of what I always think about. Where am I trying to get to? And then if you have, like you said, a big enough why at the end, that will pull you through. Because we all need some type of inspiration, you know, daily. We all need some type of motivation. We all need some type of accountability. Because when we know, I mean, U.S. is is the greatest country in the world because we have so much freedom. And a lot of the times that freedom can be a, a negative impact on us because of the fact that nobody can really tell us what we got to do, especially if we're very limited on the bills that we have, which means that we're younger, things like that. Like you could do whatever you want. It's like the first time of going to college, that exposure can be deadly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's a really good point, man. It's been, and it's kind of causing me to think about so many different things about what we're talking about. But I think one of the cool things that, that you highlighted too, is when your wife said, listen, like you have this uh, real estate license, just go all in, you know, don't have any regrets. And it's kind of that, you know, what reminded me of funny enough is is that scene from Batman, like the Dark Knight Rises, you know, when he has to jump over that cliff, yeah, but he kept yeah. doing it with a rope. And then at one point, the guy was like, dude, just lose the rope because now you can't you can't sorry for this word, but you can't fuck right. up. Right. You got, just got one chance now. You got to make that jump and you almost need to make it happen because your ass is going to die if you don't. Right. Uh, so so when you went into real estate, I'm sure you were a bit, you know, nervous about it. But what what like how did you figure out this whole game? Yeah, the great question. So what I did was I really, at this time, I I didn't really know what I was doing. But here's what I did know. How I even got to real estate was at this time when I'm working in a W-2 world, I figured out that in the corporate world, everybody could tell you no, it seemed like, but nobody could tell you yes. So in that inside sales job, I was working for a Fortune 500 company, and I had I finished number eight in the entire company as far as inside sales. So when people were like, go look at my, my LinkedIn, like it, it, it was blowing up. Uh, well, anyway, they had me leading all these like emerging leader programs and all these other things. And I was like, okay, these are great, right? But I want to try my hand at management. And I remember like my director being like, oh, Casanova, well, you know, we love what you're doing, but that position is not available. And I'm like, I, I see where this is going because I have done things that directors and-, and managers and things like that had never even done. So it's like, yeah, you guys want me to do good, but just keep it. So I'm like, okay, so Stay here's what I yeah. Right. And so for me, I was like, okay, so I started looking online. I started looking at YouTube and things like that. And I came across a guy on YouTube and he basically in his video, he had said, you got to figure out a way to be the Lord of your land. And I was like, wow, like, well, how do I know how to be? Because it struck a chord, but I don't know how to be the Lord of my land. Nobody even owned anything in my family. So I'm like, okay, well, 
I didn't know anything about real estate investing, but here's what I did. I looked deeper into his story and he started out as like a celebrity realtor and, and then he transitioned his way to investor, developer, all these other things. So I was like, okay, well, how about if I just take that path, right? I get my real estate license. I serve other people, help them buy, sell, and invest. Then I'll take my commissions and then I'll buy my own real estate. And that's how I'll create my generational wealth and my, my passive income. And so that was the path that I did. So I set out to get my real estate license. I did it. And then how I got the business to get off the ground so quickly was because I was here in Omaha. I knew nobody, no family, no friends, no church group. Right. And so what I did was I looked at what my strength was. Now, when you first get into real estate, a lot of the times they'll tell you they're like you should be code calling and, and trying to call for sale by owners and things like that because they're low hanging fruit. But for me, I knew that really that wasn't my strength. I could do it. But for me, my strength was getting face to face with people, showing them that I was genuine. I was I had a lot of energy and that no one was going to outwork me. And so that was what I did. So I was set out and I was doing three to five coffee and lunches every single week. Anybody who would sit down with me, I was going to networking events. I just wanted to get my name out there. As uh, one of my mentors says, if they don't know you, they can't flow you. Right. Mm-hmm. So so I had to get my name out there. And then luckily I got a couple breaks. And what I always tell people is, you know, when hard work meets opportunity, it looks a lot like luck. Right. When hard work meets opportunity. Really good way to say it. Yeah, it looks a lot like luck. So it looked like I got lucky, but what people didn't see is I was doing those three to five coffee and lunches. I was doing two hope open houses every single Sunday. Um, I was going to these networking events and I was there at 730 and my, my, my wife would take my son to daycare. And later on at night, I'm just communicating, hey, I'm gonna go to this other networking event because I had to get myself out there. And then once the, the opportunity came, you know, I seized it. I was already ready for it and, and there was no turning back. This is what I've been wanting. And then from there, I just started to really build up momentum. I obviously uh, used the the compounding of social media to be able to get, you know, people to see me that I was selling houses. And, and that's kind of re- how I built up in the beginning. And so when you say selling houses, like, are you doing uh, residential or commercial? Like what kind of real estate is it? Yeah. So for me, of course, I thought about that early on when I first got in, like, was I going to go residential? Was I going to go commercial? I felt like I could do both. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. I also looked at my strengths. Now, I was good on the number side, but I also knew that my, my more of my strength was building relationships. Not to say that you don't have relationships on the commercial side, but on the residential side, it was more emotional. And I knew that I could get in there with like families, things like that. And so I decided to go the residential side. On top of that, another big reason why I chose to go was in commercial, it could take you a year, year and a half before you get a check, you know, before you close on a property. Whereas with residential, if I find somebody that's already pre-approved, we might be looking at 30 max 45 days. We get them under contract, get it closed and I get paid within, you know, hopefully 60 days to even 45 days. Mm. So that was why I decided to go that route. Makes a lot of sense. And I, I love how you keep going back to like, this is this is my strength. You know, you, I think you seem to know uh, a lot about yourself, right? Like you you have that self-awareness. Obviously, it's talked a lot about, in, especially in entrepreneurship, because, you know, I think one of the best advice I always try to give entrepreneurs being from the exchange and uh, maybe more so on the investment side of things. But it's, it's almost like I haven't run into one successful entrepreneur who hasn't leveraged one resources that they had. Um, no, no matter how big or small they were or the strength innately that they had and that they can also work up to. So for you, like, how did you know these things off the bat? Like the fact that you're better in person versus calling, like, how did you just know, was it more natural or, or did you pick up on it as, as you grew? Um, I think that it, it was a combination of both. I think that naturally people, I always tell people when you're trying to figure out what your strength or your, 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 your gift is, right? First off, you have to say, uh, what comes easy for me and harder for others, right? What comes easy for me and harder for yeah. others. So when I was at networking events, things like that, I just instantly, I would not hesitate to go up to you and say, Hey, I'm Casanova. Right. Or, hey, is this your first time here? Whereas sometimes people are, you know, they're introverted. They don't want to talk to people, things like that. And I found that just naturally I could hold a conversation. 
So that was the natural part. On top of that, the things that I didn't want to do was, or the things that I wasn't as good at was just cold calling people up because, of course, when me saying my name's Casanova, people would be like, oh, get the like, F out of here. When I did inside <laughs> sales, like people would be like, get the F out of here. And I just heard those things and I felt like there was always that barrier there because I've always been competitive. So I knew that if I wanted to try to sell anybody on anything, it's a lot easier when you can see me, you can feel my energy, you can see how genuine I am than if you're just hearing me over the phone because then maybe you interpret it as like a, a car salesman. Like, oh, this guy's just a slick talker. He knows what to say, right? So those were the things. And when you could see, man, here's your story. Here's yeah. where you are now. And so I think that I, I used the combination of both. But again, it was just assessing what did I already have to work with? What came easy for me, harder for others? What were people already telling me, wow, and thank you in the same sentence for Right. And what could I do for the rest of my life if I never got paid for it? Right. And and all those things were just speaking to people, you know, and, and, and trying to be a positive energy. Like that's just that's always been natural. I didn't start. I didn't just start that three years ago. Like I always just kind of wanted to have good energy. That's that's always been my thing. Yeah. And when you talk about like you having good energy, you know, you're trying to be a person of value. You're trying to be authentic to your strength strengths plural um you know and one of the things that you highlighted is you don't want to come across as like a sleazy salesman right i think that's super important the issue though is that in real estate or any sales gig to, to that matter for some or for for good reason i don't want to say for some reason i think we know why you know that that connotation exists it's tough sometimes um not to be associated like that and you have to work so hard on your brand to to basically move away from what people think of, of of that just based on first impression right like your example when you pick up the phone what are some of the things that you've done both personally and professionally to make sure that your your brand your reputation credibility is not associated with like a sleazy salesman as an example yeah so i think the first thing you have to do is you have to figure out when you're going in there what is the problem that you're going to solve for anybody right for anybody you have to figure out what's the problem that you're going to solve because here's the thing no matter what, people are going to buy. And some people say, yeah, we don't like to, to um, we don't like to be sold. We only want to buy. We do like to be sold. We just want to make sure that we're not getting taken advantage of. Right? Mm -hmm. Think about this. If you get somebody that comes in and sells you whether it's shoes or whatever, think about the finest restaurant that you've ever been to and how they that server comes up and they know their stuff. They're selling you on the features, they're selling you on the uh the toppings. You're uh, hyped up, man. You're hyped up. You're like, man, that was a good experience. Why do people buy yachts? Why do people go to the Ritz Carlton? They are being sold and they want to go back there again because they like that. But you don't want to feel like you're getting taken advantage of. So what you have to do if you're someone who's doing the selling is first off, you have to figure out what's the problem that I solve. And once you figure out what that problem is that you do solve, now you have to say, if you don't already know, like, here's what I would tell you again, look at what's your gift and then look at who's somebody else that's already in a position doing what you're trying to do. So who who could be a future competitor of yours? Who is, it doesn't matter if it's a service, if it's a product, whatever it is, who's somebody that's already doing what you want to do at any level, right? Let's use, for example, let's use like a Damon John, right? A lot of people know Damon John, Shark Tank, things like right. that, right? So yeah. if you're trying to get in, whether it's FUBU, whether you're just trying to be a business influencer, look at his path, look at what he's done, and look at what are the, the products and the services that he's offering now, and what problems is he solving? All you have to do is figure out how you can further that conversation, right? That's the big thing is, is, and what that means is like when you're solving a problem, everybody out there right now is already selling something to solve a problem. So figure out how you can further that. And that's what I think you start out with in the beginning, because once you solve that problem for a couple people, it, it, this is what you could do. Maybe it's free. Maybe you just, let's say this, you have some a clothing line because we use Damon John. So I'll just use that. You have a clothing line. You know that your products is, is superior to anybody else's product. Maybe for the first couple people, you might have to give that away for free, right? And you might have to just get them in it. And then when they feel it, they're like, man, this is nice. Amazing, and you're yeah. like, yeah, you see what I'm saying? Now you solved it, you served, but now you're going to get that testimonial. How you get away from being a used sleazy car salesman or whatever is really in today's world by social proof because people hate to be a guinea pig or feel like that they've been taken advantage of. So again, if you if something's free, it's hard for you to be taken advantage of. I'm going to give you my product for free. 
right? You can't be taken advantage of. And the only thing I ask you in return is that you give me some type of a recommendation or you give me some type of a testimonial. That's it. Exactly. And then you do that two or three times. And then the next person, they're going to see it. And I think that that's the easiest way to do it. And also, if, if, like, if it's a really good product, you're just going to speak about it regardless, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that is word of mouth. And especially in an emotional business. And I think emotions are in every sales process. But like, it reminds me, there's a, I don't know if you ever come across the, the steakhouse Maple and Ash. But, I haven't, uh-uh. Oh, man, it's, dude, it's so good. And, and just you talking about that experience when you sit down in a restaurant. And that whole experience was so amazing to the point where, like, you, do you know what, what that feeling when you're being sold, like, as a salesperson? Like I'm on the BD side. So if you're selling me, I already know that. But right. when it's a really good product service, you're almost like with the other, like we're in the same frequency. Like I know you're doing this, but I'm okay with it. In I'm fact, okay I love it. it. Keep it coming. Upsell me, you know, because I'm loving what you're what you're actually providing me. And that value is 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 real. Like I really feel it. Right. And yeah. that's all it really comes down to at the end of the day. This is what I say all the time as well. First off, I go off of the Maya Angelou quote, right, where she says, people will not remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel, mm-hmm. right? And at the end of the day, that's all we really care about is the memories, even for like courses. Obviously, we know that like online education and info space is like really huge right now. But understand that none of this information is all um, revolutionary. Right. Right. And people, for the most part, aren't paying for the information. They're paying for the access. Right. So that's always what I think about. You're you're paying for the access to someone else and you're also paying for the experience. That's what you got to think about, because those are the feelings that you'll remember. And at the end of the day, the houses, the cars, the money. Yes, you want a lot of it to be able to live, live how you want. And at the same time, leave it for generations to come. But it, but at the same time, you can't take any of that stuff with you. But the things that you can take with you while you're laying on, you know, your, your, your bed, whether, you know, at the end of your road, the things that you can take with you is the memories that you have and that you were created over these last 50, 60, 70 years, however long you live. Speaking of education, too, I wanted to ask, I know that you did your, your course or, or the, uh, the actual licensing, sorry, not a course, uh, the, the real estate license. Did you do a more, kind of more follow on uh, education to that? But on top of just the formality of, of real estate, can you speak about like just education in terms of maybe a role model, uh, a mentor you had in the space? What do you do essentially to, to keep learning, whether it's a book you're reading today? I'm kind of curious on that part. Yeah. So the number one thing that I think that's brought me my biggest ROI is being at networking events and being exposed through like osmosis. Right. So, so but that means, yeah, it just just because that's where the real conversations come in. And that's where you're going to find the things that are more, I want to say, hacks. Right. Of what other people are doing. That's They're not proof. as. Yeah. It, it's just like the the. The, the the conversations, when you go to a conference, the guys who are up on stage, right, the Grant Cardones, the, the um, John Maxwells, all those people, yes, they're great. But the real conversations that you want to have are the ones that are happening in the hallways, right? The guys who you are just a couple steps ahead of you, right, or the guys who are on the same wavelength as you that now you could start to build partnerships, businesses with, and now you can become that new wave that in 10, 15 years, now you have built your own tribe of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and sold, you know, 20 to 30 books and millions of copies all around the world. But that comes from the backstage is what I would say, not being, you know, just talking to the up and guys. So for me, it's always been the networking and the relationships. And and then for mentors for me, um, I think the 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 first guy I, I got to give credit to was uh, Jay Morrison, who was that real estate investor guy who I was talking about. He's still in the real estate space. He's down in Atlanta. Um, I think he was the first one who really exposed me to the power of real estate. Um, then when I talk about another mentor, I've always, always been a huge fan of Jay-Z, um, just because watching him over the last 20 years go from a hundred thousand net worth to now, you know, a billion dollar valuation, uh, has been amazing. It's super crazy, right? But here's what else I'll tell you. That also taught me the power of personal brand and diversification. Do you know what Jay-Z's, uh, what contributes the most to his billion dollar, uh, worth? The most thing? No, I, I don't have a definitive What would answer. you guess? Uh, I know he's involved in Rock Nation. Yeah. Is that it? No, it's not. No. So I'll uh, tell you just for just because for the sake that we're on here. But yeah. it's actually um, uh, the champagne that he's involved with, which is Ace of Spades. 
No way. Oh. Yeah, it's like $340 million of that billion dollars. Now, when wow. you think of champagne, the first person that comes to mind is not Jay-Z. That's true. Right? That's and when true. you I think of Jay-Z... I didn't know he was a. Is he a partner or like does he? Yeah, he's a huge partner in that. Um, I actually didn't know to be honest. Yeah, because because and in, in one of those songs, on to the next one, he says, "I used to drink Cristal, them effers racist." So I switched on, moved on to that stage, and and oh, so you great. have to hear the song. It's on to the next one, and you can hear it. But he says that. But yeah, I did some reading. This was like a year ago, and I was looking on Forbes and something like that. They did an article on him, and they talked about what are all the things that contribute to his billion dollars. And the number one thing by far was the Ace of Spades. And so it just taught me the power of diversification, right? And and even though people might know you for one thing, what are you investing in? Because if you really want to become wealthy, that's the thing that you don't hear about as well. Those are the things that you're not going to get on the stage from a John Maxwell or mm. a Les Brown or any of those people. Yes, they'll empower you, but they're not talking about that they got $2 million working on the back end and what are all those schemes and how are they doing the affiliate marketing and things like, like give that. Give me the micro. Give me the micro content, right? Right. Absolutely. So that's been huge. And uh, that was what it was for me was the networking and the exposure to different types of strategies. You know what else, man, just to build on that, because I also love networking, right? I love building relationships. It's part of my, my my career, but it's also part of just what I love to do. And and more than, than just kind of like having the ability to, to fluidly, you know, know what's going on basically, right? In, in real time, you, you, have a, you have a pulse of the market is what I call it. You know, a real mm-hmm. pulse of, of really, really what's happening. The issue with books, for example, I love books as much as anybody else, right? But the issue is it's fixed. Like you have you know, a hundred pages and it's that content there and that could have been written a year ago. And as right. we know, man, with everything that hap- that is happening essentially today, I mean, everything is, is changing all the, all the time, every second, right? But you go to a networking event and all of a sudden you hear of an investor that now is looking at life sciences and not tech companies. You talk to mm-hmm. a company that was doing marketing technology now pivoted to, to fintech, you know, you, you know and, and you just, you, you constantly hear of these changes in person, real time, no BS. And so you go back to your office and you're like, damn, I got to pivot now, you know, and, and you're pivoting so quickly along with the market. So you're not this fish that's caught in the wave. You want right. to be that's riding the wave, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, again, goes back to one, the relationships, just like you said, I tell everybody, I mean, at the heart of everything, um, I'm a relationship builder. Relationships are the key to anything. If you have discipline, if you have love, and you if you have relationships, and what I mean by love is empathy, because everyone is going through something, right? And so if you're only focused on me, 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 then you don't truly have the empathy to be able to understand where someone else is at their time in life. And so it's hard for you to solve any problem for them. It doesn't have to be the biggest one, but solve any problem for them. And everybody has a problem. It doesn't matter how much money that you have. It could be because if you have a lot of money, most likely, your problem is your time, right? Like you're spending your time in a lot of different places. And if you don't have, or if you have a lot of time, most likely that you don't necessarily have a lot of money, right? So that's that's what I've found to be the trade-off. You don't see a lot of those people who have both. And if they do have both, it's because they've created systems and they've been able to empower other people around them to really take hold and take ownership of whatever their tasks are. Um, so that's been a, a big one that I've learned as well. Love it, man. Yeah, it's it's like I think what Dave Ramsey says, and I, I don't know why I was listening to him today in the gym for some reason. I think a video just popped up, and, and for those who don't know, he talks about like financial planning and stuff. But he said, you know, children always wing it, right? They improvise, they wing it, which is fine to some degree, but they're it's because they're children. Adults don't wing stuff. They don't go just blindfolded like a real adult who has a strategy, a plan in place, is dedicated to that plan, knows what they're doing. And more so relating to finance, but like know what what your plan is and then go execute on it. Right. Uh, You know, have certain systems in place. So to your point, that's a huge thing, man. I've for some reason today just I've been hearing it so so often that it's like you know just being drilled in my head. Um, Yeah. Last thing I wanted to ask you, Cass, is um, and actually we found you a nickname. So to my earlier intro, I was actually wrong about that. So uh, so Cass, last thing I want to ask you is, you know. To the audience listening, what's that one piece of advice that probably helped you the most, whether it's in your career, your personal life, the challenges that you've been through? What's that one thing that really stuck with you that maybe we haven't still talked about uh, on this episode? 
Yeah, so I would say there's kind of a little bit of two things, but it ties into one. Um, but the first thing that I would tell somebody whenever you're going through any type of a, a, a challenge in life, right, any type of, of challenge, here's the one thing that I always say to myself, joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. Right. So if you think about it, when you go to the gym, you have a lot of pain, you're ripping out your muscles, right? Things like that. And you're like, oh my God, sometimes you're doing burnout sessions, whatever it is. But then that next day or two days, once your muscles regrew, right? And, and things like that, you feel so good. You like the way you feel, but it's because of all the challenge that you had to do, right? You think about it whenever anybody, and I'm a huge sports fan, and I'm sure, hopefully you love some type of sports huge. being in Chicago. Cool. Huge. Basketball, yeah, so, UFC, football, yeah. you name it, dude. We're talking the same language. So you you look at that, and that's why victory in any of those sports that you just named means so much, because you've seen all the pain that you had to go through, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would tell anybody right now, if you look at your life and you say, man, I'm, I'm feeling down and out right now, you look at all the pain that you've – this isn't the first time that you've experienced some type of pain, no matter who you are. You've had some type of pain before, whether you lost a job, whether you lost a close friend, whether you got you know dumped in a relationship, no matter what it is. But you've came through. Right. And to be able to come through it first, you got to come to it. And so you got to face that whatever it is and, and just really, you know, be willing to, to accept that. Yes, there is some pain here, but pain is only temporary. Right. It's just like seasons. Every this pain will come, but it won't last. And the second part is here's something that I told my wife. And just like I told you before the call, my wife and I, we opened up a daycare center. This was eight months ago um, from scratch, zero kids. And my wife has no bone of entrepreneurship prior to this, right? She'd always just work for somebody. Her and I are complete opposite. So she's not the out there, any of that. Um, but we balance each other out. So it's been great. And I've been with her. She's she's always been my backbone. We've been together 18 years. Uh, so me, yeah. So high school sweethearts, I always make the joke, I've been with her longer than I've not been with her. So we've been <laughs> able to, to do some amazing things together. But anyway, when this opportunity came for her to open up this daycare, one, that's her lane. For me, Again, I always know you get a high income skill. You Facebook ads, copyright, and do something like that. But she right. knew that's why I'm so proud of her. She knew what her lane was. She grew up in a big family. Parents did foster care, a little bit of daycare. So she always knew that kids were her passion. So she kind of mm -hmm. waited for opportunity. Well, the opportunity came up and it was out of nowhere. And uh, something else that I would tell whoever else is, is listening right now, this is what I told her. You don't get hyped for the moment, then start to backpedal, right? So a lot of us, we want these things, right? We're so we're excited. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get in the gym. I'm going to get this membership. I'm going to start this business, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, when that opportunity comes, we backpedal. We're like, oh, we let that subconscious mind tell us I'm Why not strong enough. Is it almost like a honeymoon phase, you think, or? Um, I think because because us as humans, we, we, we love the excitement and the energy, but we're afraid of failure. Right. So we start to think like, oh, my God, but what happens if I fail? What will my my this is why children are so great. Right. Because they have no fear of failure. And it's not until, you know, you get to that 14, 15, 16 age that then society starts to put all of their fears on you. And 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 it, it takes off that just innovation that that wacky style right because i and again i i respect dave ramsey i i've listened to it i i know his uh financial freedom universe but there's a lot of things that i don't necessarily agree with on that Agreed. um and likewise yeah. And the only reason why I say that is because as kids, what do we want to do? You just talked about this. You said we got to make sure we don't get caught in the wave and that we pivot really quickly. Right. We mm -hmm. fail fast. We fail early. We fail often. And if you yeah. look at these things like Jeff Bezos, um, Mark Zuckerberg, any of these guys who've created these companies, it looked crazy in the beginning. If Jeff Bezos came to you and said, listen, he yes, his parents gave him three hundred and fifty thousand because they had it. But I'm sure he went to a lot of other people and was like, yeah, I'm going to start this website. We can sell yeah. books online. And people were like, well, good luck. Now, how many of those people are probably thinking, damn, I should have got into those books online, right? So I think that at the end, you just can't worry about the fear of failure. You have to just be willing to, again, be married to the destination. And I think so many people, that's what it comes back to. They're not married to that destination and they're thinking more about the journey. And so that's why they never get started because they're like, man, can I do this journey? What happens if I get a flat tire? What happens if I don't make it? And so, so true.
Yeah. Dude, I love that last piece of advice. It resonates a lot with me, man, is because, uh, so I, I told you I moved to Chicago like four months ago and uh, the TSX put me here basically to, to lead the, the BD for, for the whole Midwest, really, right? I, so I became a VP at like 26. And for me, uh, I think what I resonate a lot with what you're saying is that making sure that excitement isn't only short term, but also believing that despite you're going to run into challenges, not letting that kind of fail, fear of failure at least set you back without even starting, right? Like uh, I know we talked a bit about Les Brown, but I, I like one, one of the things he says where like you at least go, go participate in the game. You know, right. like we're all gonna die anyways, so I might as well not get get off from the from the bleachers and and, and join this this excitement, right? Because I mean, really, if you think about it, we're all gonna lose anyways. If if, if you think of it from from that perspective, um, might as well get get what you can when you're actually here. So. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that, and I love Les Brown and somebody else who you know who I always look to for motivation and mindset training is Jim Rohn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jim Rohn is, is, in my opinion, definitely uh, right up there with being called the GOAT. Uh, right. He's just, yeah, he's so ama- And he says, you know, don't wish uh, that the journey was easier, wish that you were stronger, right? Yeah. Or, and like, there's so many things. And so that that's what I always do. If you focus, you can't control the outcome, but here's what you can control. You can control your energy, you can control sure. your effort, and you can control your habits. That's right. And the, the rest of that, it'll work itself out. Last thing I want to tell you, a side topic, but do you listen to T.D. Jakes at all? I do, yeah. Do Not as fan. much, but yeah, I am a huge fan of him. Huge fan. One of the things I really want to do is actually go to Dallas to one of his seminars, but uh, I mean, or uh, church seminars, I mean. But uh, last thing I want to tell you, just on this like choice of, of happiness, I posted this video on Instagram recently. You know the new ro- roastery uh, Starbucks that opened up in Chicago, mm-hmm. that the, the largest one in the U.S.? I haven't. Uh, tell me about it. So it's on Michigan Avenue. It's like three floors. It's crazy, man. They sell like even alcohol. They have like a bakery. It's it's the most decked out Starbucks you'll ever see in your life. I'm, this, I'm not commissioned by Starbucks, by the way. I just really like it. So so I, I went recently with a couple of my friends and my girlfriend. Um, we get to Starbucks and and they have they have like really good music. It's like rap, R and B, and they really deck this out, right? Everybody, dude, who's who's baking and making pizzas and sandwiches, everyone was dancing. You know, everyone was dancing and you, you, you look at them and sometimes you're like, you know, you're so stressed in your life, but things could be so great. You just don't realize it. And you're like, man, to be honest, they're working at Starbucks on a weekend. Like, look at the difference in perspectives. Right. One could say, like, look, they're working on a weekend making pizzas for you so you can sit on your bum and eat it. Right. You know, where they can also be out there enjoying the sun, but they're not right. They're working. So but their choice is, listen, I'm going to be happy regardless, even if it's just me dancing and kind of lifting up the energy in the Starbucks. So anyways, I, just, I, I thought that was a timely example and, and, and really changed me, to be honest. That Sunday, I was like, I was just pumped for no reason. Right. You know? No, I love it. I love it. So anyways, th- thanks a lot, man. Listen, I appreciate your time. Uh, I love your energy, your enthusiasm and, and very inspiring story, man. R- really. Uh, so kudos to you for what you've done. And I have no doubt we're going to do a second episode to, to continue talking about the things you're going to accomplish. So, Yeah, man. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been a lot. It's been a pleasure. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.